the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Bruce Hooley Show. Hour number two. You know, this is actually, Jeff, this is the time that I usually call in and, and talk to Bruce on Fridays. But we have somebody in my stead today, and I think you're going to be happy with who we have. Uh, I'm Jack Windsor, by the way. I'm, I'm filling in for Bruce today. We've had more robust discussion today, as we did yesterday, on Senate Joint Resolution 2, because it's important. It will decide whether we stay at 50% plus one to amend or move it to 60% to change the state's constitution, requiring signatures in all 88 counties and no cure period. So you got to get it right with signatures out of the gate. But we're going to come back to that in just a moment. First, I want to shore up a point I didn't make well earlier in the show when we discussed Vivek Ramaswamy's support for a constitutional amendment to create civic duty voting for 18 to 25-year-olds. Vivek thinks that uh, at age 18, Americans will have three paths to vote. So I want to solidify this. Six months of direct service in the U.S. military or first response service, police, fire, etc. Pass a civic education test identical to the U.S. citizenship exam for naturalized citizens or wait until aged, uh, excuse me, age 25. So um, it's an interesting, interesting thought. And I get it. I can guarantee you it's going to get cussed and discussed and blow up social media He's talking about constitutional amendments. He's talking about U.S. military service. What a great segue to our next guest. Who am I talking about? I am talking about Ohio's top election official. He is Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Secretary LaRose, welcome to the Bruce Hooley Show. How are you today, man? Hey, Jack. I'm doing great. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, man. So, uh, again, important question is always first. What's your favorite band or musician? Do you have one? So I've got this like really eclectic sense of music. Most of my stuff, even though I'm 44, is I like a lot of classic rock, a lot of old like 1970s and 80s rock and roll, like arena rock kind of stuff. And I also love country music. In fact, I'm going to have to go with George Strait because I'm going to see him in Columbus in two weeks. And I'm really excited about that. The guy's a legend, right? Over 50 number one hits. And uh, the king of country music is going to be playing – at the Horseshoe here in, in Columbus, and a bunch of high school buddies of mine uh, were all going, so looking forward to that. That's awesome. If I remember correctly, are you a Copley guy? Is that right? You're, you're from that area. Is, am I close? Born and, born and raised in Copley Township. Yeah, spent my high school years working on Mark Bender's farm, baling hay and picking corn, and yeah, so uh, that's kind of the soundtrack of my childhood in some ways. I'm pretty excited to, to be uh, going to that show. 
I love music. Music takes us back. George Strait is fantastic. You talk about the soundtrack of your youth. Whenever I hear Creedence Clearwater Revival, I think about being in the old station wagon, going to a softball tournament with my dad. Music's a great thing, man. So thanks for sharing what you prefer. terrific, too. Oh, incredible, man. Good stuff. Now, politically, they might, might have been on the wrong side, but that we're, we're going to leave that one alone. <laughs> hey, let's hey, talk. You, you know, and I always say we got to appreciate things for what they are. I want musicians to make good music and they can, uh, you know, express their politics, but often disagree with them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's George Strait is not one, though. He's a good conservative. Yeah, that's what I hear. I, you know, I feel that way about LeBron James. Just shoot the ball. LeBron, do your thing. Yeah. Keep, keep every, no. But he has a right to express just like everybody else. And that's what makes this country great is robust dialogue. Speaking of that, let's talk about it. Senate Joint Resolution 2 passed the House. I know that you and Brian Stewart uh, were in support of that. Uh, what's your take on SJR 2 as it relates to what liberals are now saying that this doesn't have the juice? This doesn't have the authority to put that August uh, election um, on the calendar. Well, so this is an idea that I've supported for a long time. In fact, I started talking about this when I was in the state Senate years ago. We brought the idea back up last year. I was pushing to try to get it on the May ballot. Of course, we just concluded that May primary election. I was trying to get it done for then, but the state legislature has acted. Listen, I'm an executive office holder, meaning my job is to execute the laws passed by the General Assembly. Uh, Based on my reading and the smart lawyers that work in our office, uh, We've been told to run an August special election to ask the people of Ohio a very important question. And, of course, you know, the left is, is uh, ripping their garments and gnashing their teeth and, and that kind of thing. I mean, just look at the, the clown show they put on at the state house uh, earlier this week. I, I guess they must think that mob rule is how we how we run our republic. That's not how we do things and just coming and yelling at people. Uh, of course, we respect the right of protest, but that's not how these things work. The voters now get to decide. If we want to protect our Constitution the same way most other states do, and in many states you can't even put a constitutional amendment on via citizen initiative. In Ohio you can. Only 17 states in the country allow that. But most of those states that have citizen initiative also have either a higher threshold like Florida does, 60 percent, or like in Nevada where you have to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot twice. You have to win twice in Nevada to amend the Constitution. This is a reasonable thing. For Ohioans to say, listen, if you're going to change our founding document, the foundational document of our state that lays out our basic system of government, our fundamental rights, if you want to amend that, you need to get a large group of Ohioans, at least 60 percent together, a consensus. Otherwise, leave the Constitution alone. If you've got 51 or 52 percent of Ohioans that like your idea, go change the law. We don't legislate via constitutional amendment, though, and that's what this question is going to be in front of the uh, voters of Ohio in August. That was the surprising statistic that made my jaw drop when Brian Stewart talked from the floor and he mentioned, I think, 192 amendments or some crazy number. Uh, I was ignorant. I'm embarrassed to say that, but that's a lot. Uh, And it certainly seems like what you just said, that we are using the founding document uh, for what the Ohio Revised Code or Ohio Administrative Code should be doing. Let me. Um, yeah, listen. W- yeah. Whether you love it or, or, or hate it, things like casinos or uh, marijuana or prescription drug prices or abortion don't belong in the state constitution. That's what legislating is for. Go have those debates at the state legislature, but leave the constitution alone. Here's one other way to, to quantify this: the state constitution doesn't fit in your pocket. The U.S. Constitution does. You get those pocket constitutions. I have one from when I first took an oath to that constitution as a soldier in the army. 
still says Sergeant LaRose on the cover of it, it fits in your pocket because the U.S. Constitution is just over 7,000 words. It takes 75% of states to ratify an amendment to the Constitution. Contrast that to the state Constitution, nearly 70,000 words, Jack. It doesn't fit in your pocket unless you've got the big cargo pants pocket like on the Army uniform. So the, the state Constitution is ripe for abuse, and it's time that we did something about it. So uh, just to clarify, and I know this is going in the weeds a little bit, but everything I've read and, and folks that I've talked to said, hey, all right, this goes to the Secretary of State's office now. Is there anything that you have to approve or is that just kind of perfunctory and now you begin the process of getting ready for August? Yeah, so there are several steps. Of course, you know, we kept the lights on that night uh, because the, the deadline was midnight Wednesday. And so uh, we, you know, the staff stayed late and the, the clerk of the House sent it over and then the clerk of the Senate sent it, sent it over and then we received it at I think seven or eight o'clock, maybe nine o'clock that night. And so, yeah, we received it on time on, on Wednesday night. What we did immediately, I didn't waste any time, Wednesday night, we sent out a directive to all 88 county boards of elections. Again, we, we execute the law. So what we told the boards of elections to do, it's time to execute. We've been duly directed by the General Assembly to do this. So we're going to start recruiting poll workers right now, lining up polling locations. Think about the high school gym where you normally vote, maybe closed because they're doing uh, you know, work on the school or something, which they often do in the summer. So we got to line up all those polling locations. And then the next step is we have a ballot board meeting. This is a body that doesn't often get a lot of attention, but I chair a group called the ballot board. This is where we write that language that's on the ballot very carefully legally defined what we can write. We don't get a lot of leeway with that, but we have to write that language, assign it an issue number, almost certainly going to be issue one because it's the mm -hmm. only issue. And, uh, and then um, think about this. Pretty soon, a couple weeks from now, overseas and military voting will begin because that starts 46, week, uh, 46 days rather before the election. Wow. So we'll be ready to send out those overseas and military ballots soon, training poll workers, uh, programming voting machines. A lot of work that needs to go into this. The bipartisan teams at our county boards of elections, the best in the business. Ohio has the best elections officials in the country, and uh, we're going to run another smooth, free and fair election. No matter how much chaos the left tries to create, with all their crazy lawsuits and all the nonsense that they try to do, we're going to run an election because the people of Ohio deserve it. And that's how democracy works. Now the voters get to decide if we want to protect our Constitution just the way most other states do. Yeah, I've been banging this drum a lot, but I'm going to do it again because it was it was the most comical and sad thing that I've seen in a while when the Democrats went apoplectic in the House and started chanting one person, one vote. And I went, wait a minute, what you want is no vote. You want the legislature uh -huh. to decide, and what the Republicans are trying to do is actually give a person one vote to decide whether it stays at 50% plus one or 60%. Hey, we've got about 25 seconds, and uh, I kind of intentionally left this at the end so I can give you some wiggle room. Listen, I, I, I read the article this week. It says you're, you're going to get in the U.S. Senate race. Um, where are you at with that, Frank? Working towards it is the best way to describe it. Not ready to make an announcement, uh, but working towards it. I'm talking to Ohioans that want to support financially, that want to support in the grassroots sense. We know that we need to beat Sharon Brown. We know that we need to take back the Senate majority. It's going to take somebody battle-tested to do that, who knows how to win statewide elections. I think I can be that guy to retire this dangerous liberal that serves us right now in the Senate and replace him with a conservative, but not ready to make an announcement soon. Uh, hopefully something later this summer. All right. Frank LaRose, Secretary of State, thank you for joining us this morning. Have a great weekend, sir. Take care, Jack.
Hey, welcome back to the Bruce Hooley Show. Time flies when you're having fun. Today's scooting along rapidly. It's been a good show, and uh, it, it's going to get even even more intense. I'm Jack Windsor, by the way, filling in for Bruce Hooley. It's an honor to be here, and thank you for tuning in in your car, on your PC, on your mobile device, wherever you are. I'm grateful that you're here, and I hope that uh, today has been as educational for you as it has for me. We've had uh, quite a list of folks, Rob Walgate, Attorney General Dave Yost, uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, State Representative Scott Wiggum. So <clears throat> I'm going to shift to a different topic, not Senate Joint Resolution 2. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm the founding editor of the Ohio Press Network, and a few months back, we published a disturbing report involving a school district in the state of Ohio. And that school district contacted parents of a middle school student and said, hey, uh, you need to come get your daughter. She's here at school. And she's suicidal. So dad rushes to the school. Mom's already there. And what they find out is that their daughter had been under serious emotional distress. This is according to parents. For weeks, maybe months. And had began expressing that anxiety and expressing um, the emotional turmoil by walking out of class twice, the, the teacher said, hey, you need to go take a walk. Things were getting so bad. What they also uncovered was uh, one incident, according to them, with a music teacher and a second separate incident with, uh, I believe it was a science teacher, involved conversations between teachers and the student, wherein the teacher said, hey, uh, you're kind of expressing yourself as a boy. Do you want us to start calling you a boy and that is what happened there was uh, some social transitioning going on and that resulted in the student being splintered emotionally according to her parents and those are conversations and those were decisions by the way that weren't shared with the parents until they reached that critical point. Now, how did that story end? Well, the story ended with the parents communicating with school officials and leaders and saying, listen, we need to have a conversation about what's going on. We need to understand why it happened and if there are going to be policy changes and uh, the principal essentially saying, ah, we're good. We kind of took care of it. I had some conversations and uh, I don't think this is going to be an issue going forward. What? This is not going to, the, the child was, according to parents, suicidal. According to emails that we obtained, there was some serious stuff going on and it's okay. We're, we're just going to kind of handle this internally. So the parents bought another house in another school district and moved took their daughter out of the school. Why do I tell you all this? Um, I tell you all this because 
it feels like sometimes as the parent of a school-aged child that the cards are stacked against you, that the school system, the school district, the teachers are kind of all singing from the same page in the hymnal, if you will. Hymnal is probably the wrong word. Uh, the Marxist playbook is what we should call it because that's precisely what it is. And you wonder sometimes, hey, um, is my child going to have anybody there to support him or her if he or she wants to express conservative Christian values and not go along to get along? Well, a Christian teacher in California is suing a school district after she says she was fired for refusing to hide gender transitions from parents. Her name's Jessica Tapia, and uh, I think we're going to try to get her here in the next segment. And she claims she was fired from Jerupa Unified School District when she refused to lie to parents about their child's pronoun preference. Now, at the Ohio Press Network, we've actually uncovered communications between attorneys and school districts where it says, look, if you feel like letting parents know that their child wants to express himself or herself differently than their biological sex. If you feel like that's going to put the child in a pickle or a tough situation, you can withhold it. So this teacher said, mm, no, not going to do that. That's absolutely against my deeply held religious belief. They fired her, according to her, for that reason. And she filed a federal lawsuit. And it claims that students discovered her personal social media pages in which she spoke out against transgenderism and found it, quote, offensive. And she's seeking unspecified, an unspecified amount of money, plus attorney's fees and a declaratory judgment that the district's directives are unconstitutional, which is why that's a federal case. Because, uh, and I'm not an attorney, so hopefully we'll get into the legal argument involved there. But it seems to me that the First Amendment protects uh, someone's free speech and at the same time cannot compel them to speak something that they don't want to speak, particularly if they have a deeply held religious belief. So it's kind of double-edged there, that sword that should cut through that rule and not allow or force, excuse me, not force the teacher to go along with the policy. So this will be a critical, critical case as it comes down the pike. And I think that what we'll see at the federal level is judges figuring out what does that First Amendment really mean as it relates to free speech and being protected from being compelled to speak and holding on to your deeply held religious belief and not being forced to go against it. Because look, if you're forced to go against it for, quote, the common good, well, then the common good kind of feels like a religion being forced down your throat. All right. Hopefully we'll discuss this in the next segment. Join us on the other side of the break. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.